Authors on the Air with Terry Shepard, award-winning broadcaster, narrator, and author of the Jessica Ramirez Thrillers. Brought to you by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Thanks, Lisa. Meredith May is an award-winning journalist, a former professor of journalism and podcasting, and the author of three powerful books, I Who Did Not Die, her international best-selling memoir, The Honey Bus, and the canine chronicle, Loving Edie, How a Dog Afraid of Everything Taught Me to Be Brave, chronicling how her life was upended and ultimately enriched by her clinically anxious golden retriever puppy. She is also the author of a forthcoming children's picture book version of her life story titled My Hive, which will be published by Cameron Kids Abrams Books in 2024. Meredith May, welcome to Authors on the Air. Hi, Terry. Thank you for having me. Tell us about Edie. (laughs) Well, Edie is the name of my third golden retriever. Um, And the first two were from Central Casting. They loved everybody, went everywhere with me, walked down busy sidewalks in San Francisco, went kayaking, went into bars. This one was afraid of the world. And so uh, I ended up writing, a. Uh, this would be my second memoir about this incredible journey she took me on of um, realizing that she wasn't the one who needed to be fixed. I was the one who needed to fix my attitude about her and her neurodiversity, shall we say. But Loving Edie isn't your first memoir. Yeah, the first memoir uh, came out in 2019, and that was called The Honey Bus, and it was named after an actual army bus that was in my grandpa's backyard that uh, he was a beekeeper, and that was his honey processing factory. And uh, the memoir is about my childhood. I was raised by him. I grew up in his house. And... um, he took me beekeeping uh, in Big Sur, California, starting when I was five, and um, used stories about bees to um, teach me life lessons and, and make me feel better about not having my parents around. So it was about uh, how my grandfather and nature and his honeybees um, raised me and saved me, actually. Are you still a beekeeper? Yes. I, um, you know, I stopped uh, beekeeping when I left for college because those two don't really go together. (laughs) Although they do now, it's become really popular and there are a lot of beekeeping courses taught on campuses. But um, I um, got back into it in my 40s when I was working for the San Francisco Chronicle. I caught wind that there was an editor who was interested in getting beehives, permission to put beehives on the roof of the Chronicle. And um, it's one of the busiest intersections in downtown San Francisco. Um, I remember there was a Bloomingdale's and, and some bars and restaurants and parking structures and four bus stops. So, you know, perfect location for bees. Um, And, I caught wind and I got involved and that's when I started beekeeping again. So that would have been in 2011 and um, holding bees again after that long was really emotional experience for me. Um, I just felt my grandfather. I felt safe. I felt um, protected and 
I um, knew that I would just had to do this for the rest of my life. So I've been doing it ever since. Um, I So I was a rooftop beekeeper for a while. And that first year, um, returning to bees, we pulled 72 pounds of honey out of two hives in the roof of the Chronicle, which was amazing to me. But what I learned is that it's actually really easy to be a bee in an urban setting, which seems kind of counterintuitive, right? But there's so many places to get water um, in gutters and, and streets and lawns and um, and then plus people bring in plants from all over the world that bloom year round. So there's not this like spring bloom that all the country bees have to compete for. There's It's kind of like you're on a cruise ship uh, if you live in a city and you're a bee. It's, it, there's just a buffet all, all day. Um, so, yeah. And then I, um, after I left the Chronicle, I had some bees in some community gardens in San Francisco and teamed up with other beekeepers. Um, and then I had bees in my backyard. I lived in Daly City for a while. And then I uh, moved to Carmel Valley in 2019, and then I have three hives with me now here. In addition to bees, were dogs part of your life growing up? Yes. I, my grandfather always had a little um, dachshund by his side, um, and she would go with him everywhere. She would ride um, under the, the bench seat of his truck. And... Then I couldn't have a dog in college, but I was on the rowing team and the coach had a dog and the dog was at every practice, every regatta, every team trip. So that was sort of my stand-in dog. And then um, pretty soon after college, I got my first uh, golden retriever and I've had them ever since. So yeah, I've always had um, a dog around and I think that's probably because of my grandfather. I saw how much joy and sort of partnership he had with a little being. And he was so good with creatures, all kinds of creatures, um, that I think I just, that rubbed off on me and pick, picked up on that. I also, I talk about this a little bit in Loving Edie. I, and I, I think that for uh, people who grew up uh, without their parents, there's always this... Um, perpetual hole you have um, that's a little different than people who have had parents in their life. Um, and I think the loyalty of a dog fills that a little bit. It's, it feels um, really solid and bonded. Like there's, there's just something about quasi orphaned people that um, a dog uh, makes better. And, and I think that that's part of why I, I always want a dog near me. Our guest is author Meredith May. The book is Loving Edie, How a Dog Afraid of Everything Taught Me to Be Brave. One Amazon five-star reviewer hails the book as a journey of love and tolerance, learning to be patient, to have self-love, and love others unconditionally. How did Edie come into your life? Um, my second golden retriever um, passed away, and... Um, she, she came, uh, she was with me when I met, uh, when I met my wife. Um, so she, um, 
she came with me when my wife and I decided to live together. So um, my wife, uh, Jen, had never had a dog. And when uh, Stella passed, um, my wife, you know, she, she loved Stella, but she never considered herself a dog person the way I do. So I immediately was lobbying for getting an, another dog. And um, Jen was wanting me to just calm down, wait a minute. And um, so she made me wait. And we waited about a year. And it was really hard for me. <laughs> um, and so I eventually wore her down. Um, and the way I did it is that we had just come home from a trip to uh, New Zealand and we were in that tr happy travel euphoria um, back in San Francisco at the end of the trip. And I asked her if um, she was ready um, for me to call the breeder. I had, we'd been, we, before we left for the trip, we'd gone on a dog walk. I shouldn't even say that. We went to a dog park where we used to take Stella just to walk around. And we bumped into a, a fellow who had a baby golden that looked so much like Stella. And I got the information from him where he got his dog. And I kept that information. And then, um, you know, when she was a, in a good mood, I got her to say yes. And I called right there from the line, customs line. And the breeder had three Goldens, but people were coming to see the Goldens in the afternoon. And I asked if we could get there sooner. And he said, yes. And we just raced there and um, we just picked the one dog we both liked, didn't ask too many questions and uh, took her home. When did you first know that there was something special about Edie? We took her to a doggy play date. Um, we took her to uh, the SPCA and it was for puppies. And, you know, we'd been reading all the book, you know, um, all the books about how to raise a puppy. And um, so we were very excited for this because I remember when I would take Stella on these play dates, she just had a ball. So we get there and it's time to take the leash is off. And when we do, all the puppies run together in a big scrum, delightful scrum. And I'm looking in it for Edie. And then she's not there. She made a beeline in the opposite direction for the corner of the room near the door. And she was panting and pacing and, and trying to get out. And um, it was a complete disaster. She was terrified. And I'd never seen a puppy afraid of other puppies. And um, that was the first sign. And then as she got a little older and we tried taking her on some of her first leash walks just around the block, she wouldn't even make it because something would scare her like uh, a car or um, a bag blowing on the wind or a garage door opening or just a person. And she would freeze, refuse to move. And her whole body would just get like wooden. And then She'd turn around and and pull as hard as she could for home. So we realized something's definitely um, going on with her. And how can we get her to know that we're going to keep her safe? So that just launched a whole uh, journey into trying to figure her out and um, consulting with therapists and experts and vets and psychics and 
medicines and, and I tried. So the book is really about all these things we tried and this, how we finally figured out what works with her and then what we need to change about our expectations of her. What was the turning point? The turning point was I finally found a vet who believed me that, that my dog wasn't just um, afraid of going to the vet or my dog just, it wasn't a phase that there was something like debilitating about the way her brain is wired that she can't function because it got to a point where we couldn't leave the house. Like leaving the house was too scary for her. And, you know, the whole point of having a dog is that you can go through the world with your dog, your sidekick, your buddy. And, and I had a, um, I had a, like an agoraphobic dog. Um, so the turning point was I found through uh, training classes and behaviorists, I got directed to a specific vet in um, Pacifica, California, who specializes in this. And she, um, she prescribed uh, Prozac. And it's the same Prozac humans take. And that seemed to at least take the edge off where Edie, when she would get scared, she wouldn't flee. She would stop and think about it, maybe still not be able to do it, but at least she wouldn't um, run in a panic. And, and the vet also explained to me that, um, you know, she congratulated me on keeping Edie alive. <laughs> she said, these dogs are extremely difficult and owners often bring these kind of dogs back to a shelter or, or return them to a shelter, or give them up. And that's the worst thing you can do with these kind of dogs. And um, she asked me how I was doing. How did I feel about all of this? And nobody had asked. And it was just like this, I, uh, almost like a therapy session for me to be able to talk about this with somebody who understood. And, you know, she recommended trying all sorts of different things. Um, and she also t told me to call the breeder and tell the breeder not to breed the parents of Edie anymore, because all that that's going to happen is more fearful dogs are going to be born. And it's really a disservice to the dog and the people getting the dogs. So um, I did that as well. How did your wife navigate this journey? Well, um, that's part of the book too. It's really, it's a, a relationship book. Like how do two people get through uh, uh, something that just kind of takes over their life? Um, Jen calls this period like the puppy bomb years because I had been building this up for Jen that this was going to be so fun and so cute and, we're, and we were going to get to go all these places with the dog and, and our life was going to be enhanced and it was going to bring us together like a family. And and it was bringing a ton of stress. Um, and, you know, I, part of the reason I was so determined to quote unquote fix this dog is because I had to save face with my wife. Um, and, you know, for all the wrong reasons, I was kind of going about it uh, very methodically, like the journalist I was, you know, like research the hell out of it, get to the bottom of it, fix it and conquer it. Um, and it was causing a big strain in our relationship because I was a stay at home writer 
and Jen was the go-to-work police lieutenant. And I, uh, my, I wasn't able to spend a lot of time writing because I was working so much on this and um, going through all these counter conditioning training exercises with ED all day, trying, just trying to figure stuff out. And by the time Jen would come home, she'd be like, Oh, happy puppy. And, and playing with the dog. And I was, I was um, kind of losing my mind. Like I hadn't been out of my yoga pants or outside the house in days. And I, I was just like, honey, you have got to help me with this. And so uh, you have to take Edie to work once a week or I'm, I'm going to lose it. So she did. She, she got uh, permission and um, she and another coworker brought their puppies like once a week um, to the police academy where she was a lieutenant at the time. And that helped a lot. I think it was just, she didn't understand the, um, the gravity of it for me. And so, you know, we had some rough spots, but uh, we did get through it. Meredith May is a former professor of journalism and podcasting at Mills College in Oakland, California. She lives in Carmel Valley, where she spends her time writing, beekeeping, and volunteering for the Monterey Bay Aquarium as a scuba diver. The book is Loving Edie, How a Dog Afraid of Everything Taught Me to Be Brave, available everywhere. Meredith, what moves did you and Jen make to help Edie become less stressed? I kept hearing over and over that... um, Edie's a ranch dog. Like the living in uh, the Bay Area and San Francisco Bay Area is just overstimulating. I now see that that's true. Like my dog cannot walk down a sidewalk in any city, even a small little town. There's too much stimulation going on in a 360 degree around her head that she can't keep an eye on everything all at once. So she has a meltdown and she just freezes and she wants to get back in the car or back in the house. Um, She does great on a nature trail in the middle of nowhere. That's very quiet. Um, So we had been talking about moving um, to Carmel Valley, my hometown after she retired and she had a one or two more years. Um, But because it was just getting really, really tense and frustrating, we started looking a little earlier um, than we had planned, and then we found something. So we put in an offer and got it quickly, and um, Edie really pushed that move for us. And um, luckily she did because six months later, COVID hit. So uh, we moved to 10 acres on a hill, um, way up a windy road. And the minute she got out of the car, she was joyful and, and running around and exploring. I'd never seen her like run with abandon. I'd always seen her run with terror and it was instant. So Edie forced a lot of moves in our life, like literally and figuratively that we wouldn't have done on on this time scale. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy for it. In retrospect, all of it lined up beautifully. Um, Jen and I lived apart uh, for about six months after the move or maybe a year. Um, she stayed in uh, a friend's, friend's house. Friend had a spare room during the week to go to work and then came back down here. And then COVID hit and she said, you know, what am I doing? I'm 
going up to a busy city, coming back to this beautiful, quiet place. I don't want to get sick. I don't want to get you guys sick. I'll just retire now. So she retired early. And that also um, was really, really good for her. So that was the turning point, like getting our dog out of the city um, really, really started making things easier. And then just realizing that, you know, with the help of that great vet, we learned that if we take our dog anywhere new, like even a new neighbor's house, we have to go for maybe, we have to go in short little trips and then take her out the minute she starts panicking. And the first trip might be just in the car to look at the new place and then come back next week, come back, you know? And so for example, there's a, couple on the street has a golden who have a golden retriever named Chase to get her comfortable going to visit her boyfriend Chase it took about 6 months of short 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 visits a little longer a little longer and now she loves it so she needs she just has a very slow acclimation period to newness so it's made us slow down too which is also a good thing so if if i just flip the narrative about not what I didn't get, what I expected to get in this dog. If I flip it to like how she's changed my life to make it better in, in backdoor kind of ways, it makes it so much easier and it makes it, um, it's just, it's just deeper. At what point did you decide that Edie's story should become a book? Well, I usually write about whatever's obsessing me at a certain time and I write memoir. So that was all I could talk about. Also, <laughs> my, uh, you know, I was sending puppy pictures to my uh, agent and editor and publish, um, um, publicity people. Each time I would email them about something else, oh, look at my cute new puppy. So like they already knew about her, but they didn't know that there was this drama-rama behind the scenes. And when I told them, you know, they were very, you know, like, that's great. Write about it. I also think dog books, um, like I didn't have to say too much. I just said, I want to write about my puppy and my agent's like, yes. Cause I think, <laughs> you know, so many people have dogs now and especially during the pandemic, it seemed like a, a good idea at the time. How has loving Edie changed you? This whole experience really made me take a hard look at my shadow self and why was it so important for me to have her be like my other Goldens? And, you know, in San Francisco, there are more dogs than children. And, you know, being a dog owner and walking through life with a dog, you're just part of this um, culture where, you know, you know a lot of people uh, around town, you know, you get invited to things because of your dog. Um, it's just, it, you know, I wanted back into that. And it wasn't really, you know, it, ma it made me really look at why do I have a dog? It's it. I think I had had dogs up to Edie really for my own benefit um, because of the way they made me feel. And this is the first dog that made me put myself second to her. And, um, I really needed that lesson at that moment in my life. And so she's really made me mature as a person. 
She's made me see that I do have a maternal bond uh, bone somewhere in my body. Um, I don't have human children uh, because I always thought I wouldn't be very good at it because I didn't have a role model for that. And um, so I worried that I would uh, make them human children feel like I felt as a kid. But she's teaching me that, no, I have a fierce mama dog uh, part of me because now, you know, I, my job is I'm her protector. And there is no better feeling when she gets scared now. She doesn't flee. She's fled into traffic. She's nearly fled off a cliff before as a little thing. But now she will run to me if she gets scared. And that is like that. If that's not grace, I don't know what is like that makes me feel really, really good. So she's she's made me grow up, I guess, is the best way to say it. And what has Edie taught you about the world? Um, I'm really glad you asked me that question because I I think I learned a lot about difference and how difference is is different. It's not defective. You know, I, I think that I really wrestled with um, being sad that I felt like my dog was less than, like that there's something wrong with her brain. Um, and... I have, for example, a very dear friend with um, a nonverbal um, teenage daughter who suffers from um, seizure, regular seizures. And, you know, we talk a lot and we've actually talk a lot more about just um, understanding neurodiversity and, and what it can teach you about the biases that we grew up with about how we think about people and, and all the different ways they are crossing our paths or moving through the world is, um, you know, we, we really had to come a long way and change our minds and, and be more compassionate. So, yeah, I, I definitely feel like, um, thank goodness I learned that lesson. The book is Loving Edie, How a Dog Afraid of Everything Taught Me to Be Brave. Our guest, Meredith May, wrote it. How can people learn more about you and Edie? Well, I have a website. Um, it's MeredithAMay.net. And then I'm on Instagram at MeredithAMay. And then Edie has her own Insta. It's at Loving Edie. Um, it snowed today at our house, uh, which is really unheard of here in California. We, had, we woke up to three inches and uh, I just put a video up at loving Edie of her experiencing snow for the first time. It was hilarious. She wouldn't go near it. And then she tasted it. And then she started running it and doing like snow angels. It was, it was great. And so whenever she like absorbs something new like that, it's so rewarding. Right. So that's the thing with dogs like this, the lows are lower, but the highs are so much higher because my other dogs, when they first saw snow, I'm like, yeah, of course they can handle it. No big deal. But like, I'm going to live off this for a month that she could do this, you know? So it's just, it's, it's uh, deeper with a dog like this. Before we go, Meredith, tell us about your kid's book, My Hive. I am super excited. This is my first children's book. Um, the illustrator's work has it right now. And it's uh, for little kids, a picture book, like three to six age, I think. Um, and it's about me and my grandpa and the bees. So I am 
so excited. I've seen early sketches and it's just wild to see yourself drawn. You know, I, I just, it, it's, oh, I can't wait. I want to like read it to little kids and, um, you know, go on a children's book, book tour. And I'm, I'm stoked about it. Loving Edie, how a dog afraid of everything taught me to be brave is available wherever books are sold. Meredith May, thanks for being on Authors on the Air. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. And I really appreciate it. And um, this is just such an honor. Thank you so much. Authors on the Air with Terry Shepard is a copyrighted presentation of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm Lisa Davis. Join Terry in the next chapter for Authors on the Air. 